Um, this is after the resurrection of Jesus, and the disciples have been out fishing, and uh, Jesus called them uh, from the shore, and then, and then they had this miraculous, miraculous catch of fish. Verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But David is going to try and do that in about 20 minutes for us now. Um, David, we'd like to invite you to come and speak. Maybe I can pray for you as, um, as you come. Lord, we, we thank you for, for David. Um, thanks for having, it's great to have him back with us. And Lord, we pray that you would help him remember all that you have shown him in the preparations. And even now this morning, you would speak through him. A message for us for uh, Wilton Baptist Church. Lord, we pray we'd have open hearts, open ears, open minds, and um, we are all eager to glorify you. So we commit this time to you and to, um, to this time to David. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank, Thank you. you so much, Paul. If you ask me who is the apostle that I most admire, it would have to be Paul, the writer of uh, Ephesians, one of the great doctrinal letters and, and deeply moving. 
the book of Romans, which with Martin Luther, rediscovery of the great truth, launched the whole Protestant Reformation. But if I had to choose the apostle that I most likened to, it would have to be Peter. Now, why do I say that? It's because, as my neighbor said when we moved into this area to my wife and I, she said, what I'd say about you is that you are spectacularly ordinary. <laughs> and that's what I would say about Peter. He was just an ordinary person. The sort of one who could be sitting here and would not necessarily, as we would with Paul, that, that great apostle, Peter would just slot in. The Bible tells us that God chooses the foolish to confound the wise, and in Peter's life, as we will see, he certainly did that. What do we know about him? Of course, we all know that Peter was a fisherman, just an ordinary working-class man. We know that he was married. It said that the most unpopular miracle in the Bible was the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> when, when called, indicative of, of the man he was, when Jesus first meets him, he says, depart from me. Why does he say that? For I am a sinful man. He also said some mighty things. When Jesus was asking, who do you say I am? What is Peter's response? Because there was a lot of speculation from other people. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. What is Jesus' response to that? Blessed art thou, for flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. And he then goes on to say this, this commission. You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, I'm sure what we most remember Peter for are the three denials. It is recorded in all four of the Gospels and in not one of them are Peter's actions excused. Not only did he not die for his Savior, he did not even live for him. What I want to go on to say in the course of this sermon, that just to pick on that short period of time in Peter's life, is to do him the most grave of injustices. Sadly, of course, he boasted too loudly. Even though all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. What? And then Jesus' response, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you like wheat. That prophecy, of course, so shortly uh, came about. Peter prayed too little, he slept too much in the Garden of Gethsemane and he followed too far away from his Savior. And of course, in, he was recognized in the courtyard. Uh, he didn't utterly abandon Christ, but I'm sure in the course of these events, he greatly increased Christ's sorrow. His first denial was uh, just evasive, clearly loud enough for others to hear. The second... He says, I don't know the man. Well, what a shocking thing when he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that he denies knowledge. And on the third occasion, when they'd moved to the courtyard, witnessed the beatings, uh, there it was that he denied a third time. 
And of course, as we all know, the words from Mark's gospel, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And in Luke's gospel, immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And then the Lord looked at Peter. And I, rem I can imagine that look, and I think we can all imagine how Peter felt at that occasion. It must have absolutely devastated him. Having undergone three years, uh, this blessed association with the Son of God and remembering those words, and I'm sure from the Savior's angle, it's the words from a friend that always cut the deepest, isn't it, in, in our lives. And Christ's all-knowing eyes clearly looked deep into Peter's soul. It was a tender piercing, but it undoubtedly broke Peter's heart. As a little girl once said in a prayer, Lord Jesus, when you looked upon Simon Peter when he sinned and made him go out and weep bitterly, Lord, when I sin, look at me. I think that's a great prayer, isn't it, friends, for all of us. The story of Peter's denial is a lesson about the security of God's saving grace in our lives. What is most emphasized in this passage is not Peter's failure, which was great, but the Lord's forgiveness, which was far greater. And that, of course, was what Peter was in need of on this occasion. At the back of all of this, of course, was Jesus' prayer himself for, for Peter. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat, but, a divine but here, whenever you see but in Scripture, you, you, there's something very precious coming. I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. It was always said, uh, the writer of the Hebrew says this about Jesus and his prayers. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud cryings and tears as the one who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. A prayer very much heard. We have here a story of wonderful security. The blessings, uh, the lovely prayer that Jesus himself preached in, in John 17 for his church when he says those whom you gave me I have kept and none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled it's important to note Peter's courage failed but not his faith and it is the faith where we see the true Peter the, the, the Peter that we all know and love why? Because he did leave the company he was in. He went off and wept bitterly. I don't think any of us can preach such a half an impressive sermon as the cock when it crowed on that occasion because it effectively delivered this mighty message to Peter's conscience. It was said by the early church that he would go around saying, I am Peter and even I am Judas. And that at the crowing of a cock in any time in Peter's life would cause him to weep. It's right, friends, that many, many can sin with, with Peter, with my namesake David, but they can't all repent as they did. And if you don't repent, if there is no change of heart, there is no hope. The passage 
that Paul has read to us this morning is the first conversation recorded of Jesus with Peter after these three denials. Now remember, this is the person who Jesus said, I'm going to build my church upon you, Peter the Rock. And if Peter was going to continue with that ministry, the founding effectively of the church, he needed to be restored. And he needed to be restored in a public fashion. That The other uh, disciples, they had not denied Christ as Peter had done. So there is this public examination and ultimate forgiveness. And this, the important thing to stress here, that Peter needed to get back on course in his life. And I'm sure, friends, we've all been in that situation before. What is important, friends, in our Christian faith is our relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it's not your relationship to the, the church, this church, not your relationship to the Sunday school or your Bible study or your Christian friends. All of that is important. Please don't, I wouldn't say otherwise, but critical. What is your condition in relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? When we examine this conversation, you perhaps have noted that Jesus doesn't refer to him as Peter the Rock, but Simon, which means the timid dove, his former name. And so it is right from the start that the scalpel, the surgery is starting. I think it's important to note the questions that Jesus puts. Not, do you admire me? Do you fear me? Questions about all the works or anything else. The question relates very simply to one of love. And that love is the brightest, friends, of all the graces. It is the best evidence of your Christian faith in your life as it shines out in this world. So often love is seen as something sloppy and sentimental and useless, really. It's, it's frothy, but not the Christian love we're talking about here. As Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. It will go on into eternity. And if we don't have it, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Do you love me is the question. We, it was great that that question was asked of Peter. It certainly wasn't asked of Judas. And it's a blessing today that this question can be asked of us. Do you love me? A disciple often believes when he feels no love because he can believe that Christ loves his soul. As the, the Psalm 23 tells us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is that? For thou art with me. And as Sir Philip of Warwick says, as he goes into the Battle of Edge Hill, if I forget thee, do not thou forget me. I'm sure it has not escaped your attention. Jesus denied his saviour three times, and it's three times the question is put, do you love me? 
it's important to stress, and, and to some extent it came out in, in the words on the screen here, as the word love as is used in each of the three uh, do you love me? On the first time when Jesus asked the question, do you love me? The word then used for love is one of agape, the one of unconditional love. Do you unconditionally love me? Incidentally, the word that is used in Ephesians, husbands, that you should agape your wives, have an unconditional love. And it is the way Christ says in that passage that he loves his church. He is the head, we are the body. Christ has this agape love. Peter's response is not, I agape you, but rather, I filio you. In other words, I have a brotherly affection. So Peter puts it at, at a lower level, a far lower level. Jesus then asks the question the second time, and again he uses the word agape, the response from Peter is again along the lines of, I have affection. We come to the third time. Christ then descends it down to Peter's level. Do you have affection for me? And Peter, of course, replies, yes, I do have that. I, I can't raise, go to the dizzy heights of agape, but I have an affection. And on the face of it, Christ seems even to doubt that, and I'm sure it caused him great grief that, that the, the scalpel is going so deep. And he gives a, a very remarkable response to Peter. You know in my heart that I have deep affection for you. I think it's interesting. He doesn't say to Jesus, uh, look at my life, look at the things I've done. Because he knew, as I think we all should do if we're honest about it, in our deeds we don't measure up. So often in life the mistakes, the sin we fall into. But we can hopefully say, and we should say as Christians, despite all my faults, despite all my sins, Lord, look into my heart. At the end of the day, I don't love you as much as I should do, but I am not a hypocrite. I have affection for you. Christ never expects us to love him in the fullest sense of divine love before service begins, but he expects us to acknowledge that we don't love him enough. And isn't that right in our lives? Now, a lot of people might say, well, Jesus doesn't forgive him here. There's, there's no word of forgiveness. But Jesus does, I think, something far greater than that because he entrusts Peter which is, with what is the most precious thing that he has, which is the Christian church. He says to Peter, this, this is what I came for. The Son of God came on this planet, God with us, to create the Christian church, to bring people, Jews and Gentiles, into the kingdom of God. And he says to Peter, I'm trusting you with this. I'm trusting you with this commission to look after not just the sheep, the grown-up, but the little tender lambs as well. 
that is what I'm entrusting you to do. I have confidence in you that you can do that. A believer's strong faith is not a strong faith in his own love, but rather of Christ's love for him. I'm reminded of the story of a man in a theatre. He's a good actor with a brilliant memory. And an old minister says to him, can you deliver to this audience Psalm 23, which the man duly does, word perfect, the diction was great, the audience applaud. And the actor then says to the old minister, you do the same man, which indeed he does. The result is quite different because the whole audience is in tears. The observation from the actor, I know the, the psalm, but you know its shepherd. And isn't that important, friends, in all of our lives? We can know scriptures, we can know a lot of other things, but the bottom line is, do we know the shepherd? So often, if we're honest enough, we are assailed by doubts. Some people who say, well, I don't approve of your doubting, but some are, are just too complacent. It's a complete fallacy. Some of those with the greatest of faith have doubts. But perhaps an acknowledgement of faith at work is they never gave in to their doubts, but mastered them through faith. Two men were due to be martyred on the following day. And there's the one there. He said, oh, I've always been a coward all my life. I, I don't. I can't endure pain. And his friend says, I could die a thousand times for Christ. Why, why are you sniveling like that? The following day, it was the boaster who recanted and, and escaped the fiery death. It was the timid man who went to his death saying, Lord, help me. And he died faithfully in Jesus Christ, the true faithful servant. Now, with Peter, a demonstration was required to, to feed the sheep, to feed the lambs. Love, what love is about, is also obedience. How do we know if we love Jesus? And he puts it very clearly to us in John 14. He who has my commandments, we have the commandments, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. The blessing, and he who loves me shall be loved by my father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. So it's not just about our knowledge of the scripture, but it is of this relationship, of this doing for Christ. It's important to stress that Christ does not begin to love his people when they begin to love and obey him. Their love and obedience to him springs from his love towards them. A love that, as we know, is enduring. So if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Too often in life, we're probably like the man who says to his girlfriend, I'll cross burning sea, I'll swim the widest ocean, I'll fight the wildest animals. And if it's not raining, I'll be over to see you tonight. <laughs> Isn't that, friends, so often we have... The lips, this is what we're going to do. It's the actions which count. The priest and the Levite passed by, maybe to go down to the temple to pray for the man in need. 
but it was the good Samaritan who actually showed mercy to the one in need. It is important that if we're to have a successful, a faithful ministry, we are to care about other people and have a personal concern for them. Uh, a, a senator in Washington was due to host a, a VIP guest. He was a Belgian ambassador at his home. He was there to have dinner. The senator's father was there, and he was a dedicated soul winner. And son says to his dad, now look, this is an important guest coming here. Behave yourself and keep your mouth shut, basically. The ambassador in due course arrives, and dad comes down the stairs, and he forgot everything his son had said, and he says to the Belgian ambassador, are you a Christian? His son was deeply embarrassed, but the ambassador remained courteous. Months later, the senator's father had passed away, and because he was related, the father of this, this senator, a lot of wreaths turned up, a lot of sympathy expressed. One of them stood out, written on the card accompanying the wreaths with these, these words, in memory of the only man in America who spoke about my soul, signed by the Belgian ambassador. And that is, again, doesn't that say a lot? The love that that man had for a total stranger. The passage goes on to discuss and predict Peter's martyrdom in no uncertain terms, even down to how that man would die. Now, you might think if you were told that, oh my goodness, this, this is terrible. This is shocking. I don't think Peter felt like that. In fact, I know he didn't because we read his own words in 2 Peter, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle. In other words, I'm going to die, even as the Lord has showed me. Peter lived his whole life knowing that death awaited him in the shape of martyrdom. But what it also said to Peter, of course, the man who had denied his saviour three times, you're going to be victorious. You're going to be successful. You will not give in. And of course, what did Peter do with his life? Last time I was here, the day of Pentecost, this fisherman, this spectacularly ordinary man, preached one sermon, 3,000 souls were saved. At the beautiful gate, the, the, the restoration of the lame man. Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Christ, rise up and walk. At the house of Cornelius, Gentiles were ushered into the kingdom through Peter the Rock. What a wonderful testimony. And he lived his life maximizing the time he had. It's important, friends, that we carry with us souls to heaven. We can't just play at our Christian faith. Our desire is that many sinners are called. So far as the end of Peter's life, uh, we read Eusebius' words that he died in the reign of the Emperor Nero. 
But Peter seems to have preached in Pontus, in Galatia, in Bithynia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, to the Jews of the dispersion. And at last, having come to Rome, he was crucified head downwards, for so he himself passed to sight. A spectacularly ordinary man, Hattie Mae Wyatt, a spectacularly ordinary little girl, us today, spectacularly ordinary. But what we can do through the Holy Spirit in our lives in a deep Christian faith is achieve mighty things. We are told, of course, that faith, hope, and love endure. Faith, a belief in the unseen, one day we, although we now see in the mirror darkly, one day we see face to face. Hope, we have a certain hope, which, of course, will be realized in heaven. But what is said about love, it endures forever and ever, which has this wonderful thing, doesn't it? The more love you give away in your life, friends, the more you have. That we are to love sinners to Christ. Love is of God, and God is love, and God dwells in love. That which is in God and comes from him is the best thing in the world that draws people to God through his mighty Saviour. And with Peter, by the Holy Spirit, may our love be shed abroad in this time. In his son's precious name, friends. Amen. Amen. I think then over to the the last hymn, which is one I I have picked. Um, Again... In these verses, I think it's three, isn't it? Uh, Three verses. Jesus each time tells us to do something. There is a blessing that emerges in each of those verses, but the blessing is only achieved by following Jesus. Paul Paul advises me, it's one of the very few hymns which are in a minor key, but it has a major message, friends. It's a wonderful hymn.